This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We will be hearing a little bit later in today's show from Graham Smith, currently embroiled in uh, the usual problems students have with midterms. And shoot, the quarter here at Davis must be ending uh, in a couple of weeks. Graham did have a chance to talk with someone about some free textbooks available here in Davis. And we'll be hearing from Graham in segment three about that topic. And for our second segment today, I thought what I would do is uh, replay an interesting chat we had with William Poundstone. Mr. Poundstone has written a series of interesting books about secrets and bigger secrets. Things like, what are the secret ingredients in Coca-Cola? It was a fun talk, and we'll be replaying that in segment two. But let us begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our day today is the 3rd of December. It was on December 3rd in 1879 that the American inventor Thomas Edison gave the first demonstration of his light bulb. This private demonstration was done for financial backers J.P. Morgan and the Vanderbilt family. English inventor Joseph Swan had given the first public demonstration of an incandescent light bulb in January of the same year, but Edison was the first to bring the product to market, which I think had something to do with who he did his demonstration for. On this date in 1971, the Third Indo-Pakistani War began as, as India intervened in the civil war between East and West Pakistan. That war ended with the independence for East Pakistan, which is now known as Bangladesh. Although it didn't happen today, although it didn't happen on today's date, it was so bizarre that I feel it's worth mentioning it was on December 4th in the year 1977 that Jean Bedel Bokassa, ruler of the Central African Republic, elected to rename the country the Central African Empire and in the process crown himself emperor in a $100 million ceremony. Turns out there were fewer countries in the world less able to afford a $100 million coronation. And as it turned out, Bokassa was deposed two years later, to which we say, good! And before we move on to our quote and quip of the day, etc., I do want to note that over in Paris, they conducted a summit to try and deal with the pressing issue of global warming. At this point in time, pretty much everyone around the world accepts the fact that this is a serious problem. One notable exception, of course, is the American Republican Party. To quote from The Economist, a very pro-business yet British publication, that climate change is happening, that it is largely man-made, and that it is exceedingly dangerous are all now hard to deny. Though America's leading Republican presidential candidates routinely try, this year will all but certainly be the hottest since 1880 when NASA's records begin. If so, 2015 will break a record that was set in 2014. Every single year so far this decade has been hotter than every single year before 1998. Was anything meaningful accomplished in Paris uh, as regards this meeting? Well, it's probably too early to say, but it's something we should probably wrestle with, but it's just not going to happen today. Mr. Millen would like to refer me and you, dear listener, to a, uh, a documentary visible on the web, a, a documentary which you can see on the web titled, what, Cowspiracy? Yes, on Netflix, Cowspiracy. On Netflix. 
it's pretty hair-raising stuff, and uh, we will be commenting on it in future installments. There's also another documentary out there people have asked me about, An Uncomfortable Truth. It ties together a lot of, uh, for lack of a better term, conspiracy theories. Now, our policy in Radio Parallax is we try to confine ourselves to dealing with only the conspiracies that are real, of which there are many. Although the documentary I just mentioned does um, sometimes stray into the bat guano crazy category, a lot of it's pretty interesting. They go back to the 1930s and ask questions about the German rearmament. Uh, We're often taught in school that the Germans just sort of got together and pulled themselves up by the bootstraps. It seems rather more likely that massive investment was made in Nazi Germany. Investment in many instances made by international corporations, which for the duration of the war split themselves into two, basically a German division and uh, an American division. Imagine the surprise of some Americans upon discovering at the end of the war that a lot of the equipment that had built for the Nazis um, were by companies that were also making war machinery here in America. After the war, the two portions of the corporation then reunited. And the good people at places like Ford decided to sue the U.S. government for bombing their property during the course of the war. Oh, and and they they were paid. They were paid reparations for that. A lot of this stuff's pretty well documented in the historical record. It's just uh, not stressed by by certain uh, corporate interests, let's say. And uh, we're going to defer talking about that, like I say, to some future installments of the show where we can do it justice. Our quote of the day comes from Fred Rogers, better known as Mr. Rogers, who once said, The world is not always a kind place. That's something all children learn for themselves, whether we want them to or not but it's something they really need our help to understand. And we'll have more to say about that before today's show is up. This demand for safe spaces at universities is not not sitting well with the host of the show. Our quip of the day comes from Mark Twain, who once said, There is nothing to be learned from the second kick of the mule. All right, for our anecdote of the show, we have this. Apparently, the South Korean rapper Psy is set to release his first album since becoming an international sensation more than three years ago with Gognam Style. Of course, one mischievous reason we like this particular item is it allows us to play Gognam Style here on KDVS, which probably does put some of our uh, music police, I guess you'd say, maybe, maybe a mild stroke. I don't know. I hope not. It's only an internationally catchy tune. But anyway, poor Psy is having some doubts about uh, his ability to produce anything the equal of Gognum style. He was quoted saying, There were many thoughts going around in my head, including thoughts like, If I write like this, it would not be as good as Gognum style. Well, Psy, take Radio Parallax's advice. The best is the enemy of the good. Perhaps you never will do anything quite as catchy as Gognum style again, but give it a go. Our stat of the day is $50,000. That's what Congress is considering as the threshold in the bill that would revoke or deny passports for U.S. citizens who are, quote, seriously delinquent on taxes. And that's how they're going to define it. You're 50 grand behind. Lawmakers have estimated that cracking down on delinquent taxpayers in this manner might raise $400 million over 10 years. You know, they could probably raise about 100 times that if they stopped all these... uh, 
mergers taking place in corporate America that are done for tax evasion purposes. For our good news item of the week, we have this piece, uh, an advertising piece, strangely enough, from the Sacramento Bee last week from the Fairvale Baptist Church. They were proposing a farm setting for our local homeless people. Evidently, the folks at this church have envisioned simple living quarters, a room with a bath and kitchen area for single homeless people and some slightly larger facilities for families. Under this plan, uh, orchard crops would be harvested out in the country somewhere. People would be expected to work so many hours a week. Excess crops might be sold, etc. Interesting idea that we've sort of kicked around on this show. Putting the homeless together in an urban environment doesn't seem to be working so terribly well. So I don't know. I don't know whether these people at the Baptist Church are going to get anywhere with this, but we think it's something worth considering. And finally, for our joke of the day, we have the following, which comes to us from the writing team for Conan O'Brien, which is, Donald Trump claimed to have many Muslim friends. However, when asked for specific names, the only one he could come up with was the genie from Aladdin. I want to thank you, Mr. McMillan, for digging that up. It isn't often we get to play Peebo Bryson on, on the program. I think only once before in 13 years. Let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for reality checks after an analysis by polling guru Nate Silver concluded that the number of Republican voters who support Donald Trump represents just 6 to 8 percent of the overall electorate. And being a numbers guy, Nate Silver likes to put that in perspective. And Nate's perspective is that's roughly the same number of Americans who believe that the Apollo moon landings were faked. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for knowing things, I suppose, as opposed to looking them up on Google, with the news that a British study, which found that roughly 15% of young adults do not know that pork comes from pigs and that lamb comes from sheep. And yes, it gets worse. Evidently, 20% of them believed that fish fingers are made from the fingers of fish. Holy mackerel. <laughs> I presume now we know why they'd turned down an offer of ladyfingers. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for yoga, with the news that a University of Ottawa, that's in Canada, banned a yoga class on the grounds that the West was, quote, engaging in cultural genocide, unquote, by appropriating an ancient spiritual practice from India. The teacher, for his or her part, offered to rename the class mindful stretching. Now, we've seen yoga under attack from the Christian right because it's supposedly a religious practice, but uh, we had not heard of this attack from the left. Anyway, it's our hope that despite attacks from the left and right, yoga practitioners will be able to continue to do the downward-facing dog, etc. Speaking of attacks from the left and right, let's take a look at uh, some goofy notions from both sides of the political spectrum. The week notes in its Only in America section that a Columbia University student claims 
She's been deeply traumatized by reading too many books about white people. Evidently, Nisi Aya told a university panel that the school's required core courses forced her to look at history through the lens of these powerful white men. And as a result of feeling no power or agency as a black woman, she said it will take her six years to graduate. On the other hand, we have this item. Evidently, two men were booted off a Southwest Airlines flight when a paranoid passenger overheard them speaking Arabic. The men were allowed onto the plane after being questioned by police, but were then forced by other passengers to open a small white box they were carrying, which was full of candy, said one of the men. So I shared my baklava with them. Now, we reported with great disapproval some weeks back about this incident over at Yale about demands for a safe space at the university. Plenty of folks took positions different from ours. Writing in the NewYorker.com about the Yale incident, Jelani Cobb said, When white students think it's funny to wear blackface and go as thugs on Halloween or hold a white girls-only party at Yale, the small minority of blacks on these privileged campuses naturally feel threatened and excluded. Freedom of speech guarantees that we can offend the powerful, not bully the powerless. On the other hand, John Daniel Davidson, writing in thefederalist.com, said, Isn't the purpose of college to create an intellectual environment where students can sharpen their minds? That process involves debates that are passionate, experimental, and yes, sometimes uncomfortable. But that's life. The world isn't always secure and cozy. Countering that viewpoint was Lindy West writing in TheGuardian.com, saying, that's easy for you to say. It's no coincidence that the people fretting most extravagantly over political correctness are harumping, reasonable white men, people who've never experienced true marginalization. And countering that was Jonathan Chait writing in NYMag.com, saying that in a liberal democracy, no subject should be restricted from discussion, even on the grounds of anti-racism and anti-sexism. No speech should be banned as incorrect. The moment that happens, politically correct leftism takes a huge and dangerous step towards the thought control that occurred under Marxism. Think I'm being a harumping, reasonable white man? Just ask President Obama, who said last week he's troubled by the censorious atmosphere on college campuses. If your goal is to make deep changes in society, said our first black president, you must take on your opponents in a clear and courageous way. Silencing offensive views or calling on a higher power to protect me from that, Obama said, is a recipe for dogmatism. Meanwhile, over at Princeton University, there are calls to remove Woodrow Wilson's name from the School of Public and International Affairs. Now, before he became our 28th president, Woodrow Wilson served as the chief of Princeton from 1902 to 1910. It's noted that while he advanced many progressive causes, uh, well, he did have a bit of racism. Well, more than a bit, actually. He called blacks an ignorant and inferior race. He fired 15 of 17 black federal supervisors and told blacks who complained that segregation is not humiliating, but a benefit. All right, so he's got his flaws. Wilson also banned child labor. He appointed the first Jewish Supreme Court justice and did get awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. So Woodrow Wilson was flawed. He did some good things, but he said some bad things. You know, I mean, if we start this, where do we stop? Very few of our historical figures were saints. Another guy who's no saint, but is one of our favorites, is our good pal, Mr. Will Durst. 
Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about the huge way Donald Trump has changed politics. Judged on a scale of 1 to 10, it would lie somewhere in the mid six figures. First off, future candidates no longer have to worry about looking ridiculous. Actual clowns are now allowed to emerge from the clown car. Absurdity is in. And rationality has been swept forever off the table. Two, speaking from the hip requires way too much preparation. And number three, the truth is moot. Veracity is for dummies. The oddly quaffed developer hasn't just lowered the credibility bar. He buried it with a front loader so deep you couldn't find it with a diesel-powered metal detector. Since time immemorial, politicians have stretched the truth, but the Donald has finally snapped any scintilla of elastic connection to reality. The man who wrecked rectitude. Got a point you want to make, but don't have any facts to support your position? Just make stuff up. Tell your supporters what they want to hear. Doesn't matter if it's true or not, as long as it fits the narrative. Don't answer questions or respond to issues or events. Just keep repeating your dubious claims, citing improbable sources. People who know. Smart people. Very successful people. Who cares how many times PolitiFact labels one of your statements, pants on fire? They're part of the media. Buddies with Dan Rather and Brian Williams, right? The only thing genuine about Donald Trump is his facility to suck up to the lowest common denominator. His low-information voters are so used to being lied to by religious guys who cheat on their wives and presidents who argue the definition of the word is. It's refreshing when a candidate doesn't care if you know he's lying up front. Even his hair is phony. So as the GOP heads down the final lap to the nomination finish line, let's bid a fond farewell to the great communicator and make room for the fabulous fabricator. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Thanks, Will. This trend for just making stuff up and putting it out before the public, I think, uh, to some degree, can be um, attributed to Rush Limbaugh. I happened to stumble upon the statements of that flaming Nazi gas bag, as the old joke goes, two days ago, and he was berating President Obama for making the statement in Paris, an ignorant statement that the whole world was calling him on, that the U.S. is the only country that has mass shootings. Limbaugh was pointing out, and he said this in Paris where they just had a mass shooting. Ironically, these statements with Obama were recorded right before yet another mass shooting uh, took place down in Southern California. If you're keeping score, that's the 355th mass shooting in America in 2015. If you define a mass shooting as four victims, including the perp, we have more than one a day in the United States. I believe that Obama's remarks that were aired on the nightly news in the wake of the shooting in Southern California were actually recorded before that event took place. But good God, they sure fit, didn't they? Anyway, enough of that. For our final item of this segment, we have this piece sent to me by Edward. Apparently here in Sacramento, a woman who let her four-year-old play 120 feet from her front door in their gated apartment complex was arrested and charged with felony child endangerment by CPS. The story is that a neighbor spotted the boy, Tomahawk Hendren, playing in the playground in their apartment complex and reported the mother to Child Protective Services. 
The neighbor, Sonia Horrell, said, I thought she would just get a warning and she wouldn't let him be out alone again, adding she didn't mean any harm. We have to ask, what's, what business is it of the neighbor to decide that a four-year-old can't be out alone 120 feet from his mom's door? But Tomahawk got taken away following the incident. Mrs. Hendren has since regained custody of her son, but their situation continues to be monitored by CPS. They've dropped the charges to misdemeanor, but the mom still faces, even with a plea deal, 30 days in jail. Her attorney says that if the prosecution is to proceed, they must prove his client willfully put her son in danger. This is ridiculous. Said the attorney, if this happened 20 years ago, we wouldn't be here. There wouldn't be a criminal case filed. And no, there wouldn't be. All right, let's go out with something politically erect. Can you, can you dig up the tomahawk chop, Mr. McMillan? I think so. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll chat with author William Poundstone about some big secrets out there. Stick around. Stick around. 